Episode 4, Regenerating the Relationship. Welcome to Talking Family Business. My name is Leah Crowley and in this six-episode series, we're taking a look at succession plans, cycles and future-proofing family businesses. Today we have HLB Man Judd Business Advisory Manager Tom Roberts and Western Earth Moving General Manager Michael Ragg here because we want to take a look at the next generation. I'm sure both Tom and Michael are going to have some unique insights into being a protege. We'll also be discussing mentoring relationships and building a support network of your own. Welcome to both of you. G'day Leah, thank you for having us. Thank you Leah. It's great to have both of you sitting in this chair, uh, well, both the chairs, because now we we get to talk about a, a, the next generation, which is exciting. But I want to start off with, this is to both of you, did you always know you wanted to be in the career and in the business that you're in? Uh, Tom, you go first. Well, I think um, I kind of almost fell into it, to be honest. I got a lot of advice from a career manager back in high school and, and my father was an accountant as well. So um, I needed to work after school. So it seemed like a pretty good pretty good option. Like going through university, I could I could work, study, um, you know, have an income and, and that was sort of quite important to my situation at the time. The, the, the more time I've, I've spent going through the career, it's something I really enjoy. I, I enjoy the, you know, personal relationships and connections and you can make a real difference to people's lives and that's the element I really enjoy. Well, just from listening to the first few episodes of this series, it sounds like you guys, I mean, the personal approach for sure, but also you are really helping shape some big moments in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the the, the piece of work we're doing with, with Mike and Graham at the moment, we're sort of looking through the next five to 10 years of their business and planning the next succession and moving into the third generation. Um, at the same time, we're also looking at the business strategy and, and what's required there, which is a really sort of interesting piece of work. And it's almost, you know, being an accountant and an advisor, it's the holy grail. They're the types of relationships and the types of work you want to be doing. And everyone would be unique, right? Oh, absolutely. Everyone's unique. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's the thing we always talk, and I don't know, Stephen spoke about it in one of the earlier episodes about the three circles and, and the three axes of a family business. So, you know, you've got the the family dynamic and, and that's always unique to each family. You've got the business and, and what that requires, mm. which is sort of a, as a standalone entity. And then thirdly, you've got ownership aspect and, and the money side of things and the aspects of control. And, you know, that's the thing. And that's personally why I like working with family businesses because it is so unique. I mean, there's so much emotion involved and, and yeah, as you, as you say, every family is different. Every family's different. Now, Mike, for you, you saw your dad working with your grandfather. We, we spoke to your brother, Tom, and he said that he worked, you know, with, with Wem when he was younger as well. Were you doing similar stuff growing up? Yes, definitely. Uh, from a very young age, I don't think I've ever questioned what I wanted to do. It was something I always felt I knew I wanted to do. You know, when I was a toddler, I was always one out playing in the sandpit moving dirt, moving sand around, not dirt, <laughs> and loved joining uh, Graham, dad, uh, going to work on Saturdays or weekdays on um, go have a look at sites and understand what's happening, loved getting into machines, operating. I still have vivid memories of sitting on some operator's laps, having a go operating machines as a young kid. Those guys are still employed with us now. Wow, that's awesome. Which is, um, you know, testament to the success of the business, mm. you know, um, having grown up working with people across our business over a long, long period of time, you get to learn about what's important for a lot of people that work in our business. Um, yeah. And I definitely gave me the opportunity to 
develop empathy for people who work in our business, what their roles are really like, what do they entail, what's important to them, how can Graham and I as owners make a big difference to them in their lives? How do we you know, create a culture where people do want to work um, and want to see the business succeed and be there long term? Mm. You know, like I'm a third generation in the business. I think there's, top of my head, there's probably another four to five other families that are employed in the business where there's third generation employees currently working for us. But there is actually two fourth generations from another mm -hmm. family. So Peter Kennedy, who's a site manager with us, his father started with us in the early 60s. And then Peter's uh, grand step-grandchildren work with us. One is a surveyor, one's a scraper operator. So they're fourth generations in the business, which is That's a fantastic achievement for a business of 62 years to sort of have fourth generation employees that aren't uh, family, the own, you know, family of the owners is quite rare. Um, mm. So we're very proud of that. So this next question, I don't even know, Mike, if you're going to be able to answer it now, now, now that I've heard that like you've always wanted to do it. But mm. the next question for both of you is, was there ever, has there ever been a time where you thought maybe a, a different career, like growing up, you thought I want to be, I'm going to be super stereotypical, a fireman, a doctor, a lawyer, like was there ever anything else that interested you? I actually remember um, back in, I found one of my primary school, you know, the year six yearbook the other day. And I, um, you know, in there you had to write what you thought you'd be when you grew up, and so I was. And the teacher also gave a comment afterwards, telling them, telling you what they thought you'd be. So I uh, had a look, and I said I had first grade cricketer slash accountant, <laughs> <laughs> and then I looked down and saw what my teacher wrote, and she just said accountant. Yeah. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. She knew by then. Wow, that's impressive. How old were you, Tom? Oh, it would have been 11 or 12. I think it was just, you know, probably, probably much like yourself, Mike. It was just following in dad's footsteps and, yeah. and that type of thing. As I said, I sort of largely ended up falling into the career because that might have been when I was a bit younger. But as I sort of grew and, you know, got older, I didn't sort of necessarily see myself as an accountant. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, ended up here and very happy to have done so. I can just, I mean, this is a podcast, so there is no visual, but I can see in both of your faces the passion and love that you have for what you do. Mm. Like it's so obvious. And I mean, you, you guys must consider yourselves lucky to have figured out so early mm. that that's what your path wanted, yeah, what I, you wanted your path to be. I, I feel extremely fortunate that I've had the opportunity to join, you know, join our family business. Um, it was something I was exposed to from a young age, but always had a passion for. I was provided the right opportunities through my career to really learn what the business entails from go to woe, you know. Having started a similar path as Graham, you know, starting out as the office junior. Well, actually, I recall I finished my HSC. Mm -hmm. I think I had a I think that was on a Wednesday, had Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, and then oh. Graham came in Sunday and said, you'll be at work tomorrow <laughs> see at 6.30, and it started from there. So and you didn't even have a gap week. No. Nah. <laughs> I think I got to go to schoolies. That was a bit later. But other than that, no, it was straight to work. Started out doing deliveries, so going to different offices, pick up checks, drop that around, go odd, odds and ends of materials, um, doing some time on site, working as a chairman with one of our surveyors, spent a lot of time in estimating, uh, then did some more site management type work, got back into estimating and spent a, a really healthy amount of time learning that skill. That's a skill uh, you can't read in a book. You know, you've, you've got to learn yeah, that right. by doing it. And there's a real art to, 
you know, you're tailing into quoting a job, but also the sales side of it, generating a lead, closing a deal, all that sort of stuff. Um, I found that really gave me a real solid base to understand across the business what we're doing. I don't know much about estimating Mm. and perhaps there are others listening who are in in a similar boat, but it sounds to me like the kind of job that you have to be very precise, like you have to be correct, kind of like accounting, you know. Mm. Kind of. It's called estimating. Okay. And sometimes All you right. could say it's we estimating. Did. Okay. You know, how much, it's always at the death. How much is that special bolt that, you know, we can't find any quote for? What do you think? What do you think? Well, the trick is if there's five people in the room, get each person to write down on the sheet of paper what they think it's worth, average it, and that'll do. That's a good tactic. You, you know, it's called estimating. <laughs> if, it, if It's not called exactimating. Okay. You know, you've still got to... <sighs> If you consider everything that could go wrong that goes in into a project yeah. and trying to build all that um, into your budgets yeah. and then what you're wanting to charge to your customer, you won't be competitive. You know, at, at a tender, you've got to put your best price forward for what you think you can successfully deliver a project for, what you think will still be competitive and that a customer's going to be happy to pay. Um, and then it's somewhere in between all that. You know, you wish you could get paid that much. The customer wishes they could pay only this much and you've got to work out how to get some grant. Yeah, you know, middle ground in between, and then there's you get the whole art of negotiating through it. The um, old bartering. Bartering. Yeah, mm. for sure. <laughs> and in construction, no two quotes are apples and apples. So it's always a challenge. You know, we may offer, provide some sort of offering, and then the comp- two other competitors provide their bid, but they have different offerings as to how they're going to deal or take on certain risks or not take on certain risks. It's always a challenge to get a customer to understand that you, know, you have an apple, a banana, and a pumpkin, like, they're not like for like at all. How do you want a pumpkin? Do you want an apple, banana, or do you want a watermelon? Like we can change it to whatever you want. Mm. Don't just look at the bottom line. That's that's always the most mm. challenging part. And I think it's about developing that relationship with the customers so that you can have that conversation. If you just take the stance, I'm just going to put my price in and wait for them to tell me that we've won, you won't win anything. Mm. You know, I was shown a video a long time ago. ABC, always be closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. Okay. Very important. So (laughs) what was that? Four or five days you got as a break after your HSC? Four? Uh, Probably four. Four. Sunday we don't work. Okay. So. so. I was just going to ask, Mike, did you uh, did you turn up for work on the Monday after schoolies as well? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think he actually sent me home early from schoolies saying, come on, get back to work. There's rock to be ripped. So, actually, I got sick at schoolies, came home. Oh, tell okay. the truth. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right, right, right. Very ill. So, but no, I was brought back to work the next day. No need to say it. Lay at home. <laughs> no, that's right. It's a better story if you blame it on Dad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Tom, now you, you were um, at uni. Were you working whilst you were at uni? Yeah, so I what were you doing? Um, I did a cadetship. So the way that works is basically I finished school. I started working at Manjard when I was seventeen, actually. And um, yeah, so basically the way it works is you you work four days a week and and you get paid for the for the fifth day and and basically cram as many subjects as you can into mm-hmm. into that one day because night classes weren't much fun. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's, look, it's a, it's a it's a great way to learn. Um, what you're seeing at uni, you can apply practically um, in in a real sense, which I thought was was great. But um, but you know, it's it's becomes a bit difficult, obviously, managing priorities. The more you progress and the more senior you become, but um, but it's a, you know long hours, lots of hard work, but but very well well worth it. It plays into the theory. If you need something done, you give it to a busy person. They work out how to get it done. I haven't gone through a similar experience. You know, I can attest that the only way to do uni is working at the same time. In my opinion, that's what worked for me. I was fortunate in having done a construction project management degree at UTS. They really tailored it to that you were working four plus days a week 
at minimum um, and then offering classes at night or you know one day a week or they did block classes so you'd go in all day Saturday all oh, day yeah. Sunday and you do that three weekends a semester and you got the subject done that way um, but as Tom said you get to learn the theory and you're able to apply it in straight away straight away you know mm. you could be learning something on the Friday and on Monday be putting into practice rather than sort of doing four years of study and then waiting to get the opportunity to get a job and then being able to put it into practice realistically if you've learned something three and a half years ago there's a good chance you've forgotten it mm. yeah that's true mm. working and studying at the same time not only is the practicality and theory you know mixing but also it's giving you a really strong work ethic right like you have to get that stuff done for mm. both uni and the job um did you consider yourselves hard workers before did that change during that uh study work time you don't have much of a social life yeah put that out there mm. um how did you attack assignments tom oh, were you one I be- that i became um i became pretty efficient mm. at studying i think um it was always just a case of sort of trying to find the time. I think. I think what you learn is you just sort of learn to cut through the crap for a want of a better expression. Mm-hmm. Like you just sort of learn how to. What am I really trying to achieve here? Um, what's the path of least resistance, and, mm-hmm. and what's going to get me the outcome? I think is what you learn. Because, get you to that deadline. Yeah, times times at a premium. I think when you're sort of going through and, and doing all that and trying to juggle a social life, and um, yeah, I think it just sort of teaches you how to how to get to an outcome quickly. So, Tom, how did you get involved with working with WEM? Bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, look, I got involved um, because uh, when obviously we're a chartered accounting firm, so we're a little bit different to a family business. We're a partnership model and I think in our office we've got about close to 20, but we still have the same issues as a family business in terms of succession. Um, so that's pretty much how I came to be involved with, with, with WEM. Um, Stephen Preen, one of our partners who I think has been on here in earlier episodes, um, he was sort of getting to the point where looking at passing the relationship down to the to the next generation. I was lucky enough to be the right age and got involved that way, and you know came out and sort of met with uh, with Mike Graham and, and Peter Kay, um, who's their CFO, and yeah, got, got got involved that way just to sort of help look at you know their succession and, and their strategy and. It's a pretty, it's a difficult transition to make when you're sort of building new relationships and, and, and things like that. But yeah, no one that's been been really good and a lot of fun so far. Mike, were you a bit cynical or, you know, what, what were you like, oh, what's this new bloke doing here? Or, or were you sort of like, oh, this will be good, some fresh, some, uh, fresh eyes to look over the business? I, I was excited. You know, I think it's having known Steve for some much shorter period of time than Graham, I knew Steve would not entrust someone else to this relationship who was going to muck it up, you know, and I felt comfortable, you know, within straight away meeting Tom that he was the right pick to help steer the WEM HLB relationship moving forward. You know, it's been good. Actually, as the story goes, I actually remember one of the, one of the first meetings I went to when, when you two were in our, in our office and um, Stephen just said, you know, as we're walking up there, he goes, oh, just give me a minute. No drama, Stephen. So he, he went in ahead of me. For about a couple of minutes, I had no idea what was discussed, and then, you know, I went, and it's yeah, it's all been good since then. So, uh, so have thank you, you ever Stephen. asked? No, what I haven't actually. I haven't actually. I can't I, tell you. If, if, <laughs> no, you don't want to know, Tom, what was said, really. Even if I did ask, I don't think he'd tell me. Yeah, right. okay, fair enough. <laughs> Keeps the cards close to the chest, does old Stephen. Hmm. Is it hard not to talk business at family dinners? It's hard not to talk business at any time. Mm. Um, when you're working in a family business, you know. But I, does it matter? 
Or does everybody want to talk about it anyway? It, it depends who, who's there. Yeah. You know, like um, if it's our immediate family, yeah, everyone would like to know what's going on, but I don't think uh, everyone in the family wants to know every little bit of exact detail that Graham and I want to talk about you know, 20 hours a day. <laughs> but they want to know broadly what's happening in the business. Um, I don't. It's no, nothing that someone has ever said. Like, we need to shut up and stop talking about <laughs> work for once. But I'm also conscious of the fact that you know, if we're having a, a good family lunch or dinner like Father's Day, on mm. Sunday, that's just gone. I'm not going to sit there talking about work. You know, there, there's you got to respect the family time because it is so precious. But you know, I think Graham and I start talking pretty early in the morning and are still talking pretty late at night most days. Um, what about for you, Tom? I was going to say, Leah, um, it's a shame my uh, partner Maria is not here for you to ask that question. <laughs> um, Dif- different, different story there. Oh, she'll, uh, she'll commonly, you know, it's pretty, pretty common for her to. Uh, to ask me not to talk business at the, uh, at the at the dinner table, I'm always telling her the going on, goings on of clients and the firm and you know whatever, and just sort of bouncing ideas off her. So um, certain types of people, I think you sort of it can become all consuming. Like you know you've got a big problem in 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 front of you, and you sort of you know you really focus, particularly when you're working on such you know big projects like we are with with Wem guys around succession and strategy and you know and other clients and. I just find you can get really sort of focused on it and there's a lot of sort of mental horsepower that mm. sort of goes into it. And, yeah, so I think it is. it can be quite difficult not mm. to, to mm. disassociate mm. at times. But mm. but I think it's also, you know, very important as well. Like, um, you know, one, one thing I've sort of seen over the, over the years working with, you know, various family businesses and that is typically the ones that sort of succeed longer term. They, they do have a very good delineation between the family and the business. Like they make a lot of time. To, to be present as as parents and and raise their kids the right way and I and think, that that would be a conscious thing yeah well you know I think it depends I think sometimes it's conscious sometimes it's through through their own experiences like you know sometimes you know often you often you'll see um, you'll see other businesses where where the kids can almost um, have a hold a grudge against against the business because it takes their parents away from them mm. um, and I think as I said the ones that are sort of able to go through multiple generations are generally the ones that have a pretty clear delineation between the business and the family and mm. and the parents actually give time to, to the kids and, and and the family I think it's super important you know the family and partners are extremely supporting and understanding but on the flip side, those that are involved in the business have got to be supporting and understanding of the rest of the family. You know, you're all one joint group. There's so many different facets that all tie people together. It can't just be the business is what ties everyone together. Mm. You know, mm. you, you've got to respect family time and treat it as family time. But at the same time, the family's got to respect that the business is is there as well and it can be spoken about yeah. and people have got to understand what's happening across the business, whether they're working in the business, they're not in the business. They, they have no interests. They have lots of interests. You know, everyone has in those three circles you spoke about, Tom, people lay in different positions, but they've all got to respect each other's positions in those three circles. It can't be someone banging their fist on the table saying, oh, I'm here. I want blow. Everyone's got to listen to what I've got to say. Mm-hmm. You've all got to respect each other's point of view and position where they lay. Um, but, yeah, having a supportive partner makes a big, big difference, <laughs> yeah. um, whether that's ours or being able to talk through things or whatever that is. I was going to say, like, I think a key a key thing Mike just sort of spoke about there is respect, and I think, you know, that's quite often overlooked in a, in a lot of this stuff. It's, a, um, you know, family businesses by nature are very emotional, and I think just having the respect to understand different perspectives and, and, and where different people are coming from and, you know, where their position in the family is. Um, 
I think, you know, that's a, a really crucial ingredient to, to success. And yeah. also, I guess, not so much their working ethics, but their their working styles. Like may, maybe there are people who want to come home and not talk about work mm. and maybe not want to hear about <laughs> yeah. work. Like that's, that, that's their time. Everyone is an individual. Yeah. Some people may want to talk about work in a positive light. You know, look, this is what's happened and I've achieved today. Mm. Other people want to decompress and talk about what went wrong, but not in a negative light, but just talk about oh, this happened and that happened. Talk it and out. And talk it out so they can go to bed comfortable. <sighs> yeah, yeah. Relieved. Yeah. Um, other people don't want to talk about it at all. They said, like, no, I'm not at work. Don't, let's not talk about it. Um, other people just want to just talk generally about their day you mm. know, without any real context, whether it's work or home or education, whatever it is, the family, whatever's happened. And I guess it's like what you said, Mike, it's important to respect everybody mm. and how they approach. Yeah, didn't you? you have healthy relationships? Yeah. With everyone. Yeah. Not, not just who you're working with. Mm. You know, you got to ensure everyone's respected and their point of view is understood and they're consulted and asked of what they are wanting or not wanting or what they see the future look like or mm. yeah, what part they want to play. I think I think actually um your family is actually probably a really, really good example of it, to be honest, and understanding the different um, the different perspectives. Like, you know, your older brother who we're here with today, Tom, he's, he's obviously very creative and, and you're sort of more driven by the, the construction industry and, you mm. know, moving dirt, playing with that. Actually, on that, I remember when I was a kid, I used to play with Tonka trucks. I think yours just might have been a bit bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I could sit in my one so you could push them around on a table. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, but I think, you know, I think... It, your family is a really good example of it, I think. You know, as I said, Tom's very, very creative. You're sort of more mm. driven by the construction side of the um, of the business, and and I think you know, but that doesn't sort of take away from from your relationship, and no. you know, you still function very well as a family unit. And I think you know, a big part of that's from as you, as you, as we said, comes back to respect and mm. understanding uh, and respect. Yeah, understanding mm. the perspectives, which is you know important because because oh, yeah. I mean, there's you know, we're, we're here today talking about a success story, but there's a uh, there's plenty of failures and you know and you know bad stories of, of families that mm. you know can't see eye to eye and blows very successful businesses up. Mm. You know, it's very common. When I started at WEM, I always knew where I wanted to be. I didn't know how I was going to get there, or when I was going to get there, or why I was going to get there. And I shouldn't say when I started at WEM. There's actually a story from when I was a young kid, probably about seven. I was sitting in Graham's office, which is actually my office now, <laughs> and I said, to Graham, Dad. In a couple of years, you're not going to be working here anymore. I'm going to run the show. Just be, a couple. So I'll, at the age of 11, yeah, you're going to run. You're going to be out. I'm so, is that right? I'm like, yep, yep. But I'm still going to have you around here. What do you mean? Well, I'm going to have you as the gardener. And I said, <laughs> what? The gardener? Why is that? And I said, well, simply, if there's something hard I can't work out, I'll reach over, open the window out of the office and say, hey, gardener, come in here. How do you work out? Blah, 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 blah. And Graham still talks about it now. I still open that window every now and then just remind me he could be out there <laughs> sorting out that garden <laughs> any time sure he wants. the hedges are okay. Yeah, they're looking yeah. a bit overgrown actually. So <laughs> um, circling back to what I started with was, yeah. you know, I, I had all, always had the aspirations of, you know, getting through a succession, didn't know how it was going to be done or what was going to be done or ha why. For me, it was a few awkward conversations to start with Graham and straight away I think Graham caught on that, well, we've got to start talking broader with the family mm -hmm. because he could see there's more to this whole picture than just what just his you. and my relationship yeah. was going to be. 
And uh, that's when we turned to Steve and his team and we started uh, having meetings at your office and starting to flesh out what each, what the family needed, what Graham looked for, what I was looking for. And it really helped paint a really clear picture between everyone. So, uh, how, so how long vaguely was, was that sort of discussion? Mm, well, being more of a bull at a gate, it took a lot longer than what I thought it was okay. going to take. <laughs> a but, week, we're done. But now looking back at it, I thought, wow, it was the right path. Yep. You know, I think um, I was ready to make that, that step, but you know, I had to demonstrate that I could do the right things sure. and participate and under, understand what the other family members were looking for and their understanding what Graham wanted, what he didn't want. It was really important to be able to understand the other stakeholders between the three circles mm. and what each party wanted or didn't want. I think probably five years ago, maybe, would have started okay. at um, HLB's office. Yeah. And I think we probably caught up every couple of months, a couple of sessions, and it really started to develop there. Um, and it definitely reaffirmed to me how important it is to have the right advisors involved with your business, you know, because you can become very entrenched with your blinkers on, looking at the railroad ahead of what's happening. And, you know, for us, we always say we get, we're the best civil contractor at 90 Station Road, Seven Hills. Yeah. You know, you can, you've got to get someone else from the outside looking in, helping steer a conversation, provide insight, help create or unpack an awkward conversation that's got to happen or, you know, ask someone blind surveys, you know, what are you thinking? What do you like? What don't you like? And then collating that so you can get a better understanding. We always talk about succession as a process and not an event. Mm. I think a lot of people just generally think about, you know, succession is like I think Graham might have said in one of the earlier episodes, um, right, I'm packing up, I'm out that day and, and that's it. And that's how a lot of people actually think about succession, but it's not. And, and in all honesty, you can go, it takes, we, we always say it's, it's five to seven years. Yeah, yeah, right. Five to seven years for a good succession because, you know, it's a it's a big thing. Mm. Like, you know, you've got to... There's a lot of a lot goes into it, and a lot of a lot of sort of different areas of the business you've got to navigate, and the family and emotions, and and five to seven years. I think we touched on this before in an earlier episode as well. That like a lot can change in five to seven years. So you guys also have to be able to pivot, have all these uh, BC plans mm. in the wings. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, you know, we always quite naturally with succession. What what you see is there's a bit of a strategic renewal because the next generation and the next leader of the business can, you know quite often see things a bit differently to, to the incumbent. Mm. Um, you know, so I think that just happens naturally through succession is, is mm. you will have strategic renewal and different views and different ideas on the way forward and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, as you say, I think, you know, that's a, that's a constant process, though, looking at strategy and what's mm. happening in markets and mm. things. But And I guess that's why it's important for, for you to, you know, Mike, for you to catch up with, with Tom and, and mm. have that chat every couple of months. It, it is important to be able to talk through some ideas with someone external yep, so that they can maybe paint a picture that you're very entrenched in how you're thinking about something and they go, well, hang on, if you come from this angle, mm. you can see someone else's point of view. You're not appealing to their perspective. You're, yep. just, you're just trying to push your point. And that, when two people don't agree or aren't aligned in thinking, you need to think about the other way. How's mm. that other person? And that, that really helped myself understand the whole process. And, yeah, I agree. It's a journey. It's not an event and uh, mm. it's not a sprint either. Even if yeah. it's something yeah. it's a journey, you know, it's I'm not saying it's a marathon or anything like that, but you know, it's ever changing. You know, in the time from when our discussion started to now, like I've had two children in that time. Yeah, right. The business has grown significantly during that time. Um, we've probably grown from 
120 staff to 220 staff. So all of a sudden, how many more people are you responsible for? Uh, the business geographically is different. The the valuation of the business is different. The stakeholders are different. The industries that we operate are different. The requirements are different. You know, there's new employees who have different positions. So senior management is different to mm. what it was five years ago. I would encourage you know anyone in my position who's thinking you know how the succession work. You've got to talk to someone outside. Yeah, don't just sit back and get frustrated. And you know, open asking open questions is always an important thing to do uh, and having some awkward conversations to try and get it going and don't don't get all charged up. This is the point. We're going to sort it out in this event because it doesn't happen. And you can get, uh, right, you've got to be, you know, create the conversation and keep it going. Yeah. yeah. And on that point, I think, you know, when we usually talk to clients, it's a, it's a, it's a um, it can be a very awkward topic to, to broach. And actually I was reading... I was reading something the other day that was sort of saying that they reckon that there's only one in four businesses actually have a sort of formal approach to, to succession. Mm. It's just a it's a very difficult and you know, difficult area and people find it hard to talk about and I think and um yeah, but as Mike said, like it's as I said earlier, the businesses that sustain and go multi generations are the ones that they respect that family element and and yeah, I think that's the that's the sort of key really. Mm. I guess we'll sort of finish this this episode off in in looking forward. Okay, I'm, I'm going to start with Tom first with this one. You have to know Wem very well in order to advise them. Have you and Mike had a conversation of where you see the the company going? You know, ten years from now, like it, it, is there a path that you two are talking about? Personally or business wise? Let's go both. Both. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we, we've probably had a fair few conversations about it, to be honest. We've been working through a pretty big, pretty big piece looking at the, the next decade, um, very much at this point around managing the succession from, from Graham to Mike um, at, on the WEM side and also looking at the actual business itself and, and what that needs to sort of move to the, to the next level and, and sustain themselves longer term. On the personal side, I think we probably haven't gone deep enough yet, to be honest, in terms of having, you know, creating the transparency in that but but you know that that'll come like mm. today this afternoon actually we're going out to present the 10-year business strategy to their yeah uh, right to their very exciting to them it is it is and i think yeah. you know and then after after we move through that hurdle i think then the next step is sort of obviously yeah how we you know how we support them on mm. that journey because mm. it's one thing to have a plan but, but then the next part is you know plans always change as, mm. as you know events happen and things yeah. so correct you can write anything down on paper but you actually could deliver on it <laughs> And, and sometimes you you can't because things have changed. It's an extremely exciting chapter for WEM you know, this afternoon where with HLB's assistance we've really unpacked as an executive team, so Graham, myself and Peter Constantopoulos come up with where the business we want it to be um, in the next five years. So we sort of said, yeah, it's called the next decade because mm-hmm. it's, it's about how does the business evolve to beyond its current structure where it operates, the size of the business, um, and it, it, there's some pretty big changes that need to be made or will be made or both. Yeah, to have gone from a business, you know, we look back at some historical numbers, we're trending, you know, 30 to $50 million a year to where it is now, to where we want it to be. It seems it's a very, very big, steep climb, but very achievable. 
but it needs people to be able to how our current structure to change and have people take on more responsibilities and stuff because the traditional role of Graham and I is that people pulling the levers everywhere and pushing and saying, how does this, how's that? Uh, he's got to change and people taking on that. So I think HLB will be instrumental in helping us keep that strategy momentum because I think it's very easy for us to write something down on paper and then we get distracted in the the, day, the whirlwind of things that went yeah. and then two years have gone past and we, we haven't really moved from where we were. It's still the status quo. We've never really disclosed a strategy to the broader business. So that's a really big change for us and that's where things are evolving at WEM where um, I think if someone asked how WEM was performing, it was always given in a qualitative response like, yeah, things are going really well, we're, you know, customers are happy and we're busy. But now we're sort of trying to give quantitative responses as to targets and how we're performing financially and where our growth is, whether it's number of people or regions or revenue or profits or anything like that. Mm. Um, because I'm, I'm a firm believer, and we all are, that everyone loves a scoreboard. You don't play, yeah, you don't play a sport and not keep score. It's not much fun. Everyone wants to win. There's always a winning streak in everyone, yeah, whether yeah. it's a really strong one or, yeah. or not so much. Yeah, there's always that thing of if you watch kids playing sport, once you start taking score, their their competitiveness takes over. Mm. It's it's interesting that that um, you you finished on this ten. 10 year plan I was going to say 10 month I'm like mm, that's not long enough 10 year plan because the next episode we'll be talking about future proofing so I think mm. that's going to tie in really nicely Mike and Tom thank you so much thanks Leah thanks Leah for further information please visit our website hlb.com.au hlb.com.au